Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. This is Paul Axon. I'm here today with uh, Eric Miller. And Eric uh, came to me, uh, it came to my attention through Richard Hughes, who, and Eric then has a website and is developing uh, a community of people that are connected for the most part with the some form of the restoration movement, either uh, Christian churches, international churches of Christ or churches of Christ, uh, non-instrumental, or the uh, disciples. Eric, so just a, a by way of introduction, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you have, you know, come to this understanding? And, and I hope that most of our listeners recognize that this historically, you know, with David Livingston and, and others, that this is historically that uh, nonviolence or pacifism or uh, is the the leading lights of the restoration movement were there, but it seems like that individuals like yourselves, like yourself and myself, that we kind of stumble on this, not necessarily because we're connected to this movement, but more by accident. So tell us a little bit how you got there. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for asking me to share my story. Uh, Yes, my name is Eric Miller, and I grew up in the independent Christian church's wing of the restoration movement and uh my story is kind of takes a a lots winding turns but um about six years ago i was confronted with a view of scripture that i had never really encountered before and that was non-resistance non-violence pacifism a friend on facebook had shared uh an image of some kids who had been injured um, supposedly in a U.S. drone strike in um, Syria. And I saw that picture, and for some reason, it really just impacted me. And I said, how is it that I am a Christian, and I believe the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and yet I'm politically active, and I'm supporting these kinds of things? It just, I felt that conflict deep inside of me, and that sent me on a journey to how can I understand violence, war, things of that nature in the context and the light of Jesus's words um, in in Matthew 5 through 7. And that was really kind of how it started. And it led me to the Anabaptists. Like you said, people like Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell, uh, David Lipscomb, uh, Benjamin Franklin, you know, the the Restoration Movement preacher, Benjamin Franklin, and many, many, Mm -hmm. many others of the Restoration Movement all were non-resistant. They all preached Mm non-resistance. But this is something that is often not taught in our churches. I had no clue. (laughs) Um, As did I. Yeah, I didn't either. Right. Um, And I'm I'm much older than you are, so. (laughs) Well, good, then I don't feel so bad. (laughs) But uh, what happened was I I listened to a debate online between two um, Anabaptists and um, two Just War Advocates, um, and that led me to a video by um, a a guy by the name of, of, I think it's Chuck Smith. I may be wrong about that, but he was from the International Churches of Christ, and he had done a lecture about the history of non-resistance in the uh, Christian churches. And I, my eyes were just opened, and I, I could not believe it. For the longest time after I had accepted that non-resistance pacifism was truly the biblical view, I felt like I was alone. I didn't know anybody else in the Christian churches who believed what I believed about this. But um, he really opened my eyes. Chuck Pike, excuse me, his name is Chuck Pike really opened my eyes to the fact that, no, I'm standing in line with people like Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone and Raccoon John Smith and so many others who were preaching this right out of the scriptures. And were you aware of that history before the debate or before hearing it? You know, I really wasn't. You know, I I had read some stuff about, obviously, I had read um, Alexander Campbell's address on war. And so I knew to, to that extent that, you know, he was against... Um, Christians participating in carnal warfare. 
But I had no clue that this was not an anomaly, that this was what many, like you said, many of the leading lights of the movement had thought. I was not aware of it at that point. And you're using a term, uh, the non-resistance, that may have a particular flavor to it. Explain your use of that term. Yeah, so at least among Anabaptists, they tend to use the term non-resistance in place of pacifism because they tend to think that pacifism has political connotations to it. Um, And because they tend to not participate in politics, they tend to avoid that in place of non-resistance. So most conservative Anabaptists which, I mean, I, I still fellowship with Churches of Christ, but I also am very influenced in fellowship with other um, groups within the Anabaptist communities. Um, they would not necessarily say that Christians should use political means in order to promote the peaceful kingdom of God, which is what many people think when many Anabaptists think when they think of pacifism, um, but that there are two kingdoms. It's called the doctrine of the two kingdoms. So you have the kingdom of Christ, which is peaceable. We don't go to war. We do not kill. We forgive. We turn the other cheek. All those kinds of things. We love our enemies. And then there is the kingdom of the world, which God has given the sword to punish the evildoer and to promote justice and things of that nature. So they tend to use, I use the terms interchangeably because I think that you can, I understand that people don't always use the term pacifism in that political sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, because of that influence that I've had with some of the Anabaptists, I, I, I do use the term non-resistance as well. And that's, uh, you know, I've just done a interview with Eric Sabert. I don't know if you're familiar with him at Messiah College. And, and he's written a book called Disarming the Church. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is, so what you're describing, there would be two uh, views of pacifism or non-resistance sure. uh, that there are people like the uh, brethren that Eric Sabert is uh, affiliated with that are very actively involved uh, in trying to influence the, right. the kingdom. I also I also just uh, did a, a interview with uh, uh, a gentleman who who has an office in in Washington D.C. Uh, connected uh, also with uh, another Anabaptist wow. group. And so the, I think that is the, the big difference among people who, that is, how do these two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of the church, relate? Exactly. And what is to be the influence between exactly. the two? And so what you're describing uh, is that uh, by non-resistance, you have the idea that... Uh, in a sense, it is uh, like you might find in the more Amish or certain sects of the Mennonites, uh, that there is a clear divide uh, between these two kings. Precisely. So, yeah, you mentioned it. Amish, um, Old Order Anabaptists, uh, German Baptist groups, um, a smattering of conservative and uh, Old Order Anabaptist traditions, as well as some independent fellowships. And I, I guess that uh, part of this, then, the, a question one might have is, you know, an understanding. I don't know if you're familiar with radical orthodoxy, or you're probably familiar with somebody of like course, Stanley yeah. Arawas. Uh, and and the idea, I think, that with both of these, both Arawas and radical orthodoxy, is that uh, certainly there are these kingdoms of the world, but to what degree? Uh, is that are they an enduring mm-hmm. reality? In other words, the kingdom of God is clearly the enduring reality and right. ultimate reality. So that uh, it there is the notion then that their cosmic redemption is being worked out in mm-hmm. and through the kingdom of God, and so that the reign of Christ is a real world reign. Uh, that is being enacted. And I suppose that somebody like, uh, well, maybe Howarth, but even even uh, somebody like uh, Eric Sabert or others, they, they would see that we're to in some way uh, be uh, kind of, uh, the, uh, the term that I've heard used is a kind of an 
aggressive nonviolence. That is that to promote this understanding in a secular uh, realm. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I I think you kind of touched it before the the practical outworking of all of that is okay. To what extent are we as citizens of the kingdom of God permitted to participate in the kingdoms of the world? And what does that even look like? Um, For those of us, I think, who land more on the conservative Anabaptist side of things, or you could even say the more David Lipscomb side of things, you know, with uh, his his book that he wrote, his treatise, Civil Government, um, is that erring on the side of not not participating. But even among conservative Anabaptists, what does that exactly mean? Some people vote, but don't participate in politics. Some people don't vote at all. Some people don't pledge allegiance to the flag. Some people do. You know, there's going to be some level of gray area. But what I had tried to do as much as possible is cast a wide net um, with as long as people have as their focus the kingdom of God and recognize that there is some kind of a, a real distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. I want to fellowship with those kinds of people. I want to work with those kinds of people because I think particularly in this political right, climate right. that we are in right now, at least in the United States, we have seen the consequences of just mixing the two together without really a lot of thought, a lot of discretion, a lot of wisdom um, in the problem that that has had for the reputation of the church. So for me, as long as you can understand, <laughs> be aware of the, the distinctions between the two kingdoms and have that kind of healthy suspicion uh, when the church decides to kind of get into bed more or less with the political powers, I'm willing to work with you and, and, and see what we can do together. Yeah, and, that, and clearly that's the, the, uh, the, that right. would be the common ground, I think, that the notion that, that sure. uh, American nationalism and Christianity right. can some way be fused. Uh, that that of course is the the distinctive that and that seems to be i'm never sure anymore that it just seems to me that what we call evangelicalism has just sold itself down the river because it is so aligned uh with the notion of pr- promoting or uh, or wedding itself to particular forms of nationalism and, right. and a political involvement Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's difficult to see how that how that wouldn't be true, particularly after after the the, the last election, or even seeing. I mean, with the um, you know the selection of the new Supreme Court justice, many people kind of going back and 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 justifying certain things that were said, certain things that were done in order, you know, to well, let's just say in order for the many evangelicals to promote Donald Trump as president, um, as if you know, the, the ends were to justify the means or something like that. But no, I mean, I think, I think the broader culture as well has seen that the church has taken a real hit to its reputation. I mean, you can just kind of go down the line in the Sermon on the Mount. And I always go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I continue to be challenged and, and blown away by Jesus's words there. Um, how the, our, our president with all due respect um, at every turn seems to represent the opposite of what Jesus stood for then. And then people are just kind of s- sitting around scratching their heads saying, how is it that you are following this humble, peaceable, forgiving, loving savior, but at the same time, you are supporting politics and a position and a person who seems to represent the opposite of that. It's been very disappointing to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, can we do evil that good may abound? And that seems to be uh, right. The, uh, once you buy into that logic, uh, there's no end to no, the there isn't. evil. No, no, no. I mean, there, there, and that, and that's that's part of the issue. That's really the big issue. Is that where's where's the bottom on this? I mean, it, it would be very interesting to see just how much you know, he could get away with and still have, you know, some very vocal, prominent evangelical leaders come out and say, well, you know, we're not electing a pastor-in-chief or president-in-chief, you know, and, and and those kinds of platitudes that 
have been trotted out in order to justify what is really unjustifiable. But but again, uh, at, on the other end of it, I think it has really animated a lot of people like me <laughs> and others to put our focus into the kingdom of God, to really take advantage of that uh, tiredness that a lot of people have with the mixing of churches and politics. Lots of people are looking for something different. Uh, and, and we're here to kind of capitalize that on that and say, you know what, there is a different way. This is, this is what Jesus taught in, in, in the scriptures. Um, and it really doesn't have to be like this. And I think that you're unique. And I think that so many people of your generation uh, and my own students, I'm seeing this, that they are, they are so disaffected with evangelicalism or just simply with the Christian churches mm -hmm. as they perceive it to be a part of evangelicalism, right. uh, that they're rapidly uh, leaving uh, uh, the restoration movement. And I can't say that I blame no. them. That is that, and yet you're not. Mm -hmm. As I understand. No, you know, after after the election, I, I had my own I had my own crisis of faith in that regard. Do I stay? Do I go? Because I, I really was I really was disturbed and and embarrassed um, by by a lot of what I saw. Um, and I had to make a decision. And at, at that point in time, uh, I thought that, okay, well, this is it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that I can I can stay. I don't know that I could make a difference if I did. Um, and I went through a long process and I won't, I won't go through all of that, but I will say that what, what really brought me back, what really anchored me was the example of, of people like David Lipscomb, Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell, and many others. And that feeling of, you know what, I, I do belong in this tradition. You know, we have a rich history of, of kingdom activism, of non-resistance, that doesn't look like anything that we're seeing a lot of in the restoration movement in present day. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I don't have to leave. I, I can, I can find my own home here. I can kind of carve out a space for myself. Um, and I also was feeling that there were, there, there were other people like me. There were other people like me who were also feeling disaffected, who, who didn't, who didn't want to lead the restoration movement. I mean, the, the, honestly, the restoration movement is just part of who I am. You know, it, it, it runs it runs through my runs through my veins. I feel like if I left another tradition, I don't think I could ever really leave the restoration movement behind me. And I believe that there are other people like that. And I and I thought, well, you know, better than leave. How about I try to connect with other people who are of a similar mind and see what we can do to try to promote, you know, the kingdom that Jesus spoke about. Yeah, you're I, the that was at Richard Hughes answer to my question i said well why haven't you left and of course he said well i can't it's just part of part of who i exactly. am exactly and of course he he himself is such a, a shaping force mm -hmm. you know that that and, and and sort of i and that's my own position i i can't it's not that i, I i'm not really my understanding of the restoration movement is such that it's not really a movement that one leaves hmm. to join it, it it's not a it's not a denomination or it's not sure. supposed to be and and of course in all of this the reality that's on the ground and the the theoretical or uh, theological reality may be quite different but theologically as i understand it uh this has always been a a a, a continued movement that is defining itself and one of the key factors in that uh, de definition is that well we're we're Christians we're just Christians we're not we're not claiming to be non-Catholic or uh -huh. anti-denominational or uh, or not to fellowship right. with people like that uh, but but that uh, that is not part of the our understanding of what it, uh, of the definition inherent sure. to be a follower of the way sure. of, to be a Christian. And so with that definition, you really can't leave. Who who would who would say, oh, they want to stop? Right. <laughs> you know, you uh, uh, as I understand it, that's not something that you would necessarily. Seek. Right. I mean, if we and I can't remember the, the the exact wording, but um, you know, if we're if we're supposed to sink into the body of Christ, you know, uh, uh, as you know, it says in the declaration and address, you know. If, if we're talking about leaving and joining, I mean that just kind of makes us one more 
one more denomination. And and I think that that has kind of this idea of wanting to be Christians only and have fellowship with other people of, of like-minded faith that I think was part of the first generation of the restoration movement as something that has been able to help me as I have kind of ventured into other traditions and the Baptist traditions um, that I wasn't previously familiar with. Um, but again, if you can find people of like-minded faith who are, who are headed in the same direction as you are, um, I mean, we particularly, I think at this at this critical moment, we don't have the luxury of just hunkering down into our own little groups. And it has to be just people with the same sign name on the sign that, you know, my church has and those kinds of things. No, we really need to be reaching out, looking for other people who are interested in promoting the peaceable kingdom of Christ and seeing what we can do together. The other thing that I'm curious about your own journey and this, I've, I had a discussion with Richard Hughes on, on white supremacy, and that, that clearly the, the, the restoration movement is implicated in racism uh, as much as any other group. And so far as I can see uh, that in the typical restoration church, uh, those are issues that are not uh, being actively addressed. No. Uh, tell me how you, how, yeah, how you make that's a, that. that's a very interesting question. You know, I, I, um, I am black and, um, I was adopted when I was three years old, um, into a white family. So I have five older siblings. Um, they are all white. None of them are adopted. I'm the only adopted child. And uh, of course my parents are white and I grew up in a smallish Christian church, um, in an all white town. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I bring this very in, interesting experience in that way. I can't say that explicitly I had a lot of bad experiences. Um, I feel like people were very upset, accepting and loving and kind. When I got older, though, I did realize that there are some uh, unfortunate attitudes about racial differences within the Christian churches and churches of Christ that makes it difficult for them to understand what a lot of their black brothers and sisters are thinking and feeling. And let me mention just one of those. That is this idea of the way to conquer or overcome racial differences is to pretend that we're all the same. It's to pretend that race doesn't exist. You can pretend I'm not white. I'll pretend that you're not black. And then that will just solve the problems. Just not talk about it. If we just don't talk about it, we don't focus on it, then there won't be any problems. And I think that that kind of thinking is not only is it not going to work, but it can be very dangerous because even while you're pretending that I'm not black, I, I can't, I can't pretend that I'm not black because I am black and I live in a black body in let's just say a, a, a white world in many respects. And that means that my experiences are going to be different in many ways than your experiences. And and so when I see pastors, elders, deacons, my brothers and sisters in the Christian churches and churches of Christ sharing posts on Facebook or, or saying things like that, well, if we just stop talking about it, if we just stop focusing on it, it would all just go away. You know, we just don't have the luxury. We just don't have the luxury of doing that. The re and, and, and if a person doesn't recognize that there is a difference, generally speaking, and how the average black person is going to be treated in our country, United States of America versus the average white person um, will be treated, then I, I mean, I, I can see how you would get that idea if we just ignore it and be the same. But the reality is there is a difference and that difference needs to be acknowledged. And we need to acknowledge that we are different and that we're all made in the image of God. And that is the responsibility of those who have the privilege that they have been given or that they, you know, they have been relegated to use that privilege in order to help and advocate and bless for those who don't have that privilege. I, I really like the way you're putting it because, of course, that I live in an area here in Missouri that Missouri is kind of an odd place to begin with, but this area is proudly mm. calls itself Little Dixie. 
it is not a welcoming uh, community, and that in uh, you know that the the racism it is both overtly on display, you know, with the the whole Confederate flag, but it is subtly on display. I'm afraid in the churches, such that uh, you know you you go to the uh, a local church, and of course. Uh, I just always cringe sometimes thinking, well, how, how would not just uh, somebody who's black, but somebody sure. who's just not white, you know, uh, uh, that, that it, there is just kind of this blatant ignorance and unawareness and an incapacity for people to put themselves in, in right. someone else's shoes. There's just a kind of lack of empathy, uh, that, that, uh, I don't know that it's it's ingrained in uh, the Christian churches, or that it's a necessary part of it. But as at least in my experience of it, uh, that part of what it means to be evangelical at this point in time, uh, and in as much as the the Restoration Movement is, is sometimes proudly claims to be part of evangelicalism. It seems that it is well, inherent. you know, and I think, I think to the extent that um, certain segments of of the of the movement have just kind of aligned themselves with uh, Republican politics, um, we've we've seen that we've seen that come out. Um, you know, I, I I don't personally I don't believe that you know, like you said, that this has to be an inherent part of the restoration movement. I don't think it is. I think that the majority of people um, are, are innocent, um, even though they have views that I think are harmful. They don't realize that it's harmful and that if the right person corrects them, I think they'd be willing to change their views. But the more I see us getting political and particularly, and I'm not just trying to rag on Republicans here. Um, I, it just it happens that our movement doesn't go for the left. <laughs> it, we just tend to go for the right. But I think to the extent that that has happened, um, right. I, I, just for example, I serve in a Spanish-speaking Church of Christ. Um, and I saw the impact of the rhetoric of Donald Trump um, with respect to Mexico and immigrants and things of that nature, how that affected the members of our congregation. And I did get in a little bit of hot water um, for certain things that I said, speaking out um, uh, against the president as if that was an inappropriate thing to do for, for a minister or someone who's preaching in the church. But my response is when you're part of a Hispanic church, when you're part of a Latino church, you can't help but speak about these kinds of things everybody's talking about it. Everybody's worried about it. Everybody's worried about their, you know, their, their friends who may be undocumented or, or what's going to happen with this or that or the other thing. But see, that again is the difference that you, that you're not going to get if you think that we can solve these problems by just pretending that we're all the same. You can't do that because the experience of a Latino person is sitting in a church of Christ, hearing this kind of rhetoric is going to be different, quite frankly, than a, a, a Caucasian person or even a black person who, you know, was born in this country, uh, hearing the kind of rhetoric, uh, you know, that, that the president was, was speaking during, during the campaign. Um, I, mm -hmm. I, yeah, just, uh, the, I think that there are churches that are incapacitated, uh, even if there may be ministers who would want to say, well, this is evil. What, you know, uh, Jeff Sessions has done, Donald sure. Trump, it, you know, it, you don't have to pick. It just seems like that it's continually on display. But here's a guy who's who's morally uh, degraded. He's clearly has no, uh, you know, guiding light in mm -hmm. terms of a religious orientation or that, that here is someone who is just morally corrupt, and then they're doing things that, as a as Christians, we should be able to say, well, when you start uh, hurting children, separating children from their mothers, when you start, uh, you know, castigating any sort of, of people of color or people who are immigrants, uh, that's precisely who, as Christians, mm -hmm. we are to identify with. And if 
and, and if our if our Christianity is such that it incapacitates our ability to empathize and identify, then I suppose we have to wonder if we should still call that Christianity. Right. I mean, that's. I mean, you put it perfectly, and I think the answer is no. I mean, how 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 could we? Uh, it's something, but it isn't the religion of Jesus Christ, and that's why I think it's so important that as much as possible, we as Christians remove ourselves from the politics of the world because it's it's just all about division. You know, you don't you don't get rewarded in politics for putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. You know, you get punished in politics for that. You get rewarded in politics for demonizing your opponent for making everybody think that if this person wins, if their policies get through, if this or that happens, then, you know, the, the world's going to end, whether it really will or not. And that's not to say that there aren't policies and things of that nature that do help and, and do hurt on the other end. But it's all about making your side dislike the other side. And I think that this hyper-political climate that we're living in has seeped into the church and has, a lot, has really just prevented us from... From, like you said, putting ourselves in, in the shoes of other people. I mean, sometimes I, I like it. Listen, I, it's not that I don't understand the arguments of people who are who say that people shouldn't enter into the country illegally. Yes, I, yes, I, under, I understand what you're saying. But the, the way in which these kinds of things are argued, the total lack of empathy, the lack of understanding, um, you know, for people, for the different circumstances that, that people have, that's what alarms me. You know, um, I mentioned before, you know, I am, I'm, I'm here in Mexico. I've been here for a few months. I'm doing a preaching internship here. I mean, people have to work twice as hard to make, you know, a, a, a fraction of what is being made, you know, what, what we can make in, in the United States. Uh-huh. You know, I, I work in a hotel for a living in Cincinnati um, and I'm making, you know, what, you know, a, a middle rate lawyer is making here in, in, in Mexico, you know, so what I want to see is that the church would recover the compassion that Jesus talks about, the love for our neighbors, that separation from the world, that the, that the concerns, the carnal concerns of, of the people of this world are not the concerns of the people of God. I don't have to be so worried about, you know, what's happening to my culture and my country and my language and things of that nature. I can focus on spreading the good news, helping my neighbor, doing the things that Jesus Christ has called me to do. And I think by that way, you know, we're going to be setting an example for the world and hopefully um, be able to undo some of the damage that has been done with this unthinking uh, uniting of the of the church and in, in, in the politics of, of this nation. I was a missionary in Japan for 20 years. And, you know, when you, when you Sometimes I think people don't don't see this. You know, you put it in terms of American nationalism, but of course they immediately see it when you just start describing Japanese nationalism. You know, oh, would sure. you want to put the Hinamaru, the the Japanese national flag, in the church? Well, uh, look at right. look at what that has represented. No, no Japanese Christian. I, as far as I know, would do that in good conscience because it is then the the, the flag that has you know uh, it, it was under the name of the emperor and the, you know in the name of Hirohito and uh, in national uh, uh, Shintoism and national religion. Uh, so that right. that there is this inherent. It's not that the church there has always successfully extracted itself from that nationalism. But once you begin to describe that sort of ethnocentricity, that it's so easy to see here, once you, you know, I think a, a person uh, of color or a person who is, uh, and, you know, not part of the, the you know, white uh, privileged uh, group, that, that it's almost that they're blinded uh, by the the ethnocentricity, by the nationalism, they just imagine that's a, an inherent part of being a, a, a an American Christian. Uh, they would run those two together. Well, that's what the Nazis thought about, you know, uh, being German Christians. That's what many Japanese 
uh, thought about the state church that was formed uh, during uh, the war there. And it's almost like there is this unthinking fusion of, you know, of, of uh, nationalism. And I just can't help but think that, that uh, this is inherently, just as German Christianity was inherently anti-Semitic, there is an inherent racism then. You know, I mean, it's obvious with Donald Trump that here's a guy who's just blatantly, uh, you know, uh, white supremacy and, and, and racist. But to the degree that Christians can't see that, in some way, it's clear that their Christianity has failed or the, that they failed their faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think we certainly missed the boat somewhere, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you look again, you look at the political landscape and it, it just doesn't look at anything that Jesus is describing um, in the church. And yet that's what so many Christians have, have wanted to kind of glom onto as if that's the way to, to save us, to, to put us back into power and things of that nature. Um, you know, and you know, with respect to the point that you were making about how it's easier for us to see, you know, the kind of Japanese nationalism, for example, as opposed to in the United States, I I do think that we have a blind spot there. But I also think that that just kind of has to do with the American exception, the idea of American exceptionalism, where, you know, it's okay if we do it because we're generally speaking on balance a good nation that's done good things. Um, you know, supposedly is what people say, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to other nations. And again, that 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 just comes from a difference in reading history based on your experiences, based on your own race and things of that nature. I find that my um, black brothers and sisters tend to have a don't have that view of American exceptionalism because we just have a different history with this nation. It's not to say that we hate America. Certainly, we do not hate America. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. We came over here on slave ships. I mean, um, I think about, you know, Emmett Till, who who was who was killed when my father, you know, was was it was a was a child. I mean, this is an ancient this is an ancient history. I mean, this is just part and parcel of what it has meant to be a black person in America for a very long time. And I thank God that there have been great changes and things are not the way that they were. But that's not to say that we don't continue to have work to do. And I think especially the election of Donald Trump has shown that we have a lot of work to do. And some of it is racism. Some of it is just this, uh, you know, hyper, hyper nationalism where I think people don't really care what race you are as long as you're American. But all of it comes from the same pot and it's sinful. (laughs) You know, none of it has any place in the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom was of this world. My disciples be fighting to prevent my arrest from the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. And we course, are and strangers. Yes. And that, uh, in part, let me pose a question to you as a kind of dilemma. In other words, you're, you're very interesting because you're uh, describing a, a two kingdom system. Mm-hmm. And yet it seems that in the end, we can't escape. Uh, the 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 kingdoms of this world. In other words, it's just inherent that when we go to church, uh, well, certainly we're going to use the language and not just the English language or or you know whatever the language of the country is, but in a sense that there is an inherent shaping by. In other words, we can't we and if we're not aware of this thing, if we can imagine that we can just remove ourselves from it. In other words, I think what we're describing in terms of Donald Trump, white supremacy, uh, it's not something that you shed when you walk through the church doors. And that in some way, if we're not a part of communities that are actively naming this devil, are actively pointing out the idols, that in some way the, sh- the church is just co-opted, even even though it may claim to be oh separate and uh, in some way. Well, the, the the whole point is that 
it is not a process that's complete. It's not a, it, it is, it is a, a thing that we're continually attempting to do. And if we're not actively aware of the way in which our culture, uh, uh, you know, shapes us, then, then uh, we can't do the hard work of becoming full citizens of the kingdom of God. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's very, very interesting because you, you're correct. I mean, it's not as though we could, we can pretend that, you know, what's going out, what's going on outside the four walls of the church isn't actually happening because it is happening and it affects everyone, which is why I think it's important that we, we've tried to define this separation from the world in, in very concrete, specific ways, whether it be not voting, not running for office, and not um, not legislating government, uh, certain things like that would would be part and parcel of what um, many or most of the conservative and old order Anabaptist churches uh, would mean when they say that they're being separate from the kingdoms of the world. However, I do think it's important that we don't that we don't be naive about what's going on. I do think sometimes um, that might be. Uh, an, an issue in certain Anabaptist circles, a kind of naivete about, um, you know, what's happening and how the politics of the world do affect people in the church. There are people who get uncomfortable, would be uncomfortable with the conversation that we're having right now and that I've mentioned the president by name and things of that nature. But it's just, for me, it's just a reality. It's just a reality that we're living in political, political or not. And because so many people, so many Christians have been taken captive by this political mindset, I think it's important that we name it, that we name it and that we, that we, that we go out, that we go after it directly. Because I, I think the opposite, I mean, you're certainly not going to help any, you're not going to help anybody. People are just going to think that you're, that, that you're okay with what's going on. And yes, I, ha- I have gotten some heat <laughs> for for certain mm-hmm. things that I, I've said about the president. But you know, and I just I just read something um, on, on Twitter today by by a, by a, a black pastor who's with the Gospel Coalition, and it said Donald Trump is made in the image and likeness of God. And I had to stop and think about that for a second and say, thank you, Lord, for that reminder. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's true. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is made in the image and likeness of God and his supporters are made in the image and likeness of God. And the things that we're saying here, we're not saying because we hate Donald Trump, because we wish him ill, because we wish his supporters ill. What we're doing is trying to draw a contrast between what Jesus Christ has taught and what many churches are teaching today that are in contrast to what Jesus is teaching and and that's it. I mean, that's all I'm trying to do is draw a contrast between this hyper political, hyper nationalistic, very often racially prejudiced version of faith that passes as faith in so many of our churches and the peaceable kingdom of God that's spoken about in scripture that Jesus Christ has counted worthy in, in Revelations 5 because he shed his blood for people of every nation, tongue, language, tribe. You know, that's the kind of Christianity that we're after. And so non-resistance yes. uh, is something, uh, I, and the same problem arises with the term pacifism. Mm-hmm. I think that, that both terms may give the, the air of, oh, well, this is something, you know, you're kind of withdrawal, you're kind of a, a passive. And, of course, I think that, no, well, it, non-resistance means non-violent. In other words, that we're continually resistant to the principalities right. and powers, that we continually have to be in the, and I, I, to my mind, that's part of what it means to be uh, peaceable, that this peaceableness is not in, in, in some way a quiet, you know, a kind of Buddhist quietism. No. Uh, it is the willingness to engage in what you're describing in your church is a willingness to engage uh, those principles and powers that you necessarily have to name because they invade, if we don't name them, if we don't uh, uh, say, here's, you know, not to demonize. In other words, I think, you know, John says that anyone who denies that Christ has come in the flesh is of the Antichrist. 
But in some way, we have to enflesh this thing. So in some way, we, it is an embodied Christianity. And we have to be able to name the Antichrist, not to demonize an individual, but certainly to be able to recognize the darkness. Right, right. I, I, and I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it can't stay in the, in the realm of, of hypothetical or vague forever. I mean, the reality is I could, I could have this conversation without mentioning names and things of that nature, but people know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're all adults. <laughs> Better to just get it out there and then let people make a decision based on the scriptures. But no, I, I have been encouraged in the midst of a lot of discouragement, I have been encouraged by the reaction of many people and meeting many people who I did not know were of the same mind that I am, even though we might be on different ends of the political spectrum, thinking, you know what, Th this this marriage of the church and the state of, of politics, it's not what Christ intended. It certainly hasn't done us any good. It hasn't done the world any good. And we need to be we need to be we need to be going about this some other way. And as I understand it, the church describe a little bit. So you're you're the community that you describe on your website. Uh, that is is it a like-minded group of individuals, or are you thinking more of the? Uh, are you meeting with people that share your understanding? Well, more or less, I've I kind of just started getting into to, to meeting people, which is why I, I launched the website when I did. So I just started a website called Restoration Roots Anabaptist Vision, um, and you can look it up on the rrav.com. No, we, we generally speaking, it is a like-minded group of individuals, people who believe in um, non-resistance, separation from the kingdoms of the world. Um, as well as certain aspects that are common in conservative Anabaptist circles, things like head covering, um, the permanence of marriage, um, uh, separation from worldly entertainment, and, and, and things of that nature. Um, there, are, there is a, uh, a variety of doctrines in between us, and we have some very spirited discussions. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we really are bonded by those, those key doctrines of, of, of the two kingdoms. Can I ask you a, a blatant question? How many black people are in your fellowship? Yeah, um, I think I'm the only one. <laughs> I don't, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I am in a conservative Anabaptist group as well. And I do know for a fact there is uh, another black sister. Um, I know that there is a, a Hispanic brother, um, I, I I could probably count them off on one hand, though. It's it's. I mean, as far this is something where I think conservative Anabaptists have, can I say, failed have have not put a lot of energy into, and that is kind of uh, evangelism and missions and things of that nature, and that's why there is just a really um, poor representation of of blacks, of Hispanics, of Asians with within within these circles. And as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that the Sunday morning is the most segregated hour, you know, in, uh, oh, for sure. in the week. And it seems like uh, nothing's being done, at least I, I may, may I know there's exceptions, uh, that that's a barrier. That's a wall that has not been uh, broken down. Mm -hmm. I, and, and I think that's right. I, I have been encouraged. I must say I have been encouraged. Um by people who are eager, who are eager to learn more, to be able to reach out to, in, in particular, black communities with um, this uh, Anabaptist message, with this kingdom message. Mm -hmm. um, and I have tried to work with some people in, in, in seeing how we can make that a reality. But um, I think we're just at the beginning stages of a lot of that. Um, for the, the reality is that for many Anabaptist communities, um, particularly old order communities, missions, evangelism, things that we take for granted in evangelical churches and in the restoration movement have simply not been a part of their, uh, of their doctrine. Uh -huh. They believed that they were going to reach out to people by living quiet, modest, um, upright lives. And that was their form of evangelism. And that is 
true in some ways, but it also has real limitations when you are geographically located in areas that are separate from people of color. Um, but again, I, I have seen some people, uh, I would take the example of um, the, the German Baptists. This is a community um, which traditionally has not evangelized. Um, but in recent years, there has been a lot of interest in church planting, evangelism, and things of that nature. So I think it's just a matter of connecting with the right people, getting plans going. I'm the kind of person who I love to sit and talk and plan, but at the end of it all, I want to go out and do something. And that's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to connect with people who are interested in reaching out to people who look like me and others, uh, particularly even in the Hispanic churches, um, with, with the with the gospel of the peaceful kingdom of Jesus Christ. Um, and again, I think that we're just in the beginning stages, but I am excited about some things that are happening. And I think what you're describing, that once people, you know, that part of being a mission-minded group is what, that once you understand uh, the, the difference between being a Christian and being part of a particular, you know, ethnocentric, you know, group, well, then it's in a way that prepares you to go to other places. As long right. as you're bearing this nationalism as a part of your Christianity, uh, you're, you're profoundly unprepared to talk to anybody about Jesus. Right, right. No, and, and I, I've seen that in, in some of the, the, the trips that I have I've taken to Mexico um, with groups of Americans. It's, it's, it's funny but sad, just some of the comments that come out of people's mouths and, and you know, the things that people the things that people think. And it just makes me um, think that we, we as a church need to do a better job, a better job of contextualizing the gospel um, in our, uh, you know, ethno-linguistic um, contexts. Um, the reality is that people receive the gospel differently based on what you look like, based on where you're born, based on what language that you speak. Everybody doesn't receive the gospel the same way. And we need to be aware of that in order that we can evangelize effectively. Eric, you're a, you're a remarkable young man, and I, I it's been such a, a great pleasure to meet you and talk to you. And I hope that through this, that you've got you know you you've got a group and encouraging that, and that's kind of what we're trying to do is that there's little isolated pockets of people that that uh, believe in the peaceful kingdom and believe in the gospel uh, as it's taught in the fullness of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the plane. But sometimes we, we can feel lonely. <laughs> so yep. <laughs> it's good to find a brother that knows how to Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.